Hello and welcome to the Encouraging Angels podcast with Stan Szymanski. I'm your host, Stan Szymanski. Today is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023, and I have a tremendous show for you today. Neither Encouraging Angels nor Stan Szymanski nor anyone affiliated with Encouraging Angels is offering any type of advice on this program. We do not offer financial advice. We do not offer legal advice. We do not offer medical advice. We do not offer personal advice of any kind. Please consult a professional in the area of your need or interest. You know, yesterday I told you, because I had done so much work on this writing, on this basically uh, fable that I wrote A Cautionary Tale of the Golden Bones, an Aesop's Fable for the Fiat Masses. And I I thought this morning, because yesterday I was planning, well, I'll do this in a couple different shows. I'm going to cover the whole thing today. So all, you know, uh, 2,500 words, you know, on this thing, roughly, I'm going to cover and, uh, you know, throw some commentary in here because a few things you know, need explained. Other things I'm going to leave, you know, to your imagination, of course. Um, uh, but I wrote this because of some information that I had, you know, kind of un- uncovered. And um, other stuff, I, you know, I have done this for long enough to where I've, I've written so many articles that are um, expository Thing, discovering things and and uncovering uncovering them and showing them to people through the articles uh, that I write, and um, sometimes you have to do it a different way. You know, there's people that I just can't reach when I do that type of writing, and so I had thought long and hard about writing a piece something like this. And even when I said I'm going to write this, it took me three days of thinking about it. And another three days of writing um, to make this flow, to make the idea uh, work as a story. And it's a very different type of writing. But it's something that for certain people, it's the only way I'm going to get through to them. Now, again, Encouraging Angels is a disability ministry. You know, we are we are primarily concerned with the disabled, the special needs, and their caregivers. But when my daughter manifested with a catastrophic illness, I was a successful board-certified financial planner with a major wirehouse. So even though I report on all the other things, whether it's the jab, whether it's things going on with, uh, you know, disability, with special needs, whether it's doing worship, because uh, we're a music ministry. I've also been a musician my whole life, basically. Um But also, the impact that finance has, especially in the day that we are living in. People do not understand what's going to happen to their money. 
that there are going to be, you know, <laughs> there's going to be an entire populace who have worked their whole lives and saved their money. And then at the end of their lives or at the beginning of their retirement, their money is going to become worth a whole lot less before it becomes worthless, in my humble opinion, in my humble opinion. And so a lot of people just can't take it. When I say it like that, they just go, oh, and they just uh, put it out of their mind because they can't believe anything like that would happen because they look back, you know, for instance, they watch people, uh, you know, become retired 20 years before they did. And they had a great retirement because of the hegemony of the U.S. dollar. The hegemony of the U.S. dollar is over. It's, you know, technically it's still, yeah, the top dog, but the BRICS, we don't know exactly what's going to be announced on August 22nd, but it will be the beginning. It will not be the final thing. It will be the beginning of the takedown. And we don't know how fast it will be, but when it starts to happen, uh, I mean... You know, Bill Holter was on with Greg Hunter on USA Watchdog over the weekend and talked about looking for the dollar going to 70 on USDX. I mean, that is a huge drop. That's a 30% drop. You know, and that's measured against other currencies, right? But only six other currencies. Not, uh, you know, not the whole world. So, um, and then if you compound that with a war, um, and or, you know, who knows, nuclear attack, which the U.S. is pushing for, I mean, they're trying to push Russia, in at least Russia, maybe more, into a nuclear conflict. By pushing the NATO forces up against the border of Russia. Just imagine if there were, say, oh, 500,000 Russian troops in, in uh, Niagara Falls on the Canadian side. How would you feel about that? <laughs> People don't like to think in those terms. You know, uh, the unfortunate reality is, is there are Russian Spetsnats all over this country. There are... Uh, a couple hundred thousand, if to, if not 500,000 Chinese military-age fighting men uh, in this country. The border is being overrun with military-age Chinese and, uh, and other, uh, you know, South Americans that are coming here for, you know, not-so-great reasons, in my humble opinion. You can look up and find, you know, information on this. Look for, look at Michael Vaughn, V-O-N. Look at his uh, information and website. These things all lead to a takedown of the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. After the great financial crisis, call it the GFC, of 2008. When the other countries of the world, which up to that point 
had basically given America carte blanche in using the dollar as they would. And America did a lot of bad things with that, with the hegemony that it had. They looked at the great, the great financial crisis and said, these people can't manage this. These people just, they can manage it by literally just turning on the printing press. This money is backed by nothing except men with guns. And that's what Paul Krugman said, the Nobel Prize uh, uh, nominee. I, uh, I mean, I believe 2017, 18. I've quoted that before in some of my writings. Uh, and they said, we're tired of this. We want money that is, and I'm speaking as the BRICS nations, you know, theoretically. We want money that is backed by something that has intrinsic value. Not because it's backed by the full faith and credit of the government, which is just, you know, the printing press. No, no. So we're going to see the beginnings of this come August 22. I don't know exactly how that's going to manifest, but we're going to see that. And it's going to be, you know, I mean, already, I mean, Jim Rickards, who actually was CIA and an attorney and helped basically help bail out the world during the long-term financial, long-term capital um, financial crisis that happened in, I think, 1998. Uh and he's just world-renowned for, you know, his comments on the economy and on gold. He said it's going to be a, a gold-backed um, currency. I think gold-linked is more likely, but it could, because gold-backed means that typically it means that it's convertible into gold. And that's why eventually, you know, back in the 60s and the early 70s, when, the, when America went off of the gold standard, under Richard Nixon in the early 70s. Up to that point, you know, uh, you could convert the dollar into gold, you know, if you were a sovereign country. And so when the U.S. was fighting, but the U.S. was in, in the 60s was going off of that standard and just started printing money. And Charles de Gaulle called them on that. And, uh, you know, the U.S. said that, hey, our dollar is as good as gold. And de Gaulle said, well, give me the gold. When uh, the U.S. was spending all this money and fighting in Southeast Asia, there were no American banks in Southeast Asia, but there were French banks because those were French colonies. And so the Americans would, you know, spend and utilize, would utilize those financial resources there and the French would take those dollars and convert them to gold. That's what they did. So fast forward now, and they could see America was running itself into the ground. That's why they wanted the gold, something that was worth something. And the BRICS are now at the point where they're saying, you know, we have, they, they started meeting the year after the great financial crisis of 2008. So they've had, this will be the 15th meeting on August 22nd, I think 22 through 24, and they are, they have been planning for 15 years. People think this is just coming up out of the out of you know out of nowhere. No, this has been in the works for 15 years. 
they are going to unveil the beginnings of a competing world reserve currency. This has extremely, extremely bad consequences for the United States dollar. And especially if you care for someone, whether you are a single dad caring for a special needs child, like a Down syndrome child, like a family that we met uh, a few weeks ago when Cindy and I, we, we traveled to buy, I, I told this story, but uh, we, we bought a security door on on. He was advertising on Facebook because he sells all, all kind of stuff. And we, we drove about 40 miles to his, his store. And, uh, you know, it was him and his, his Down syndrome son. If you are taking care of somebody, you think about your dollar, you know, in a year only goes half as far as it did now. Listen, folks, inflation, the, the, the government is telling you inflation's running at 3%. That is a lie, and the reason for the lie, I'm going to write on this eventually. I've written on on sub uh, on parallel things regarding this, but they are telling you it's three percent because the these numbers that they use are used to calculate the cost of living adjustments, for instance, like for Social Security. Now, last year the 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 uh, the bump up in the cola. Uh, the cost of living adjustment was like 8%. Um, and inflation ran, according to Martin Armstrong, not the government, economist Martin Armstrong, inflation for the things that matter, to that everybody spends their money on, food, energy, you know, gas, etc. Inflation was 32% for the year of 2022. Now, inflation came down a little bit, but Martin Armstrong says it's still running at 26%. Inflation is 26% for the things that matter to you. Not 3% like the government is telling you. I wrote a big story on uh, on how the CPI is just a story concocted by the government for its own purposes. They instead of measure measuring those major things like Martin Armstrong does, they measure 80,000 items. 80 thousand think about that and the cost of let's say paper clips and the cost of scuba gear really didn't probably budge a whole lot i might be wrong in the scuba gear but i think you get the idea that things that everybody doesn't use Or say, uh, I don't know, paper mache wallflowers. I don't know. <laughs> Things that people don't use all the time get measured by the government in 80,000 items. And if they don't move, they use all these other things that don't matter much to keep the interest rate down on the CPI. So they can tell you that inflation's 3%. When in fact it's a lie because you spend all your money on your rent. You know, and there's stories all over about rent doubling in the last like two years. Doubling. That's a hundred percent, folks, in two years. That the average rent across America is like thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars. It's crazy. Crazy. The cost of gas is starting to go up again. You know, food is becoming less available. So, when you talk about 
money. You talk, and the difference between currency and money, currency has value, inherent value. Money does not. I make that difference here in, in my article, which I'm going to get to reading. I've written it in this fable format because it's the only way that it's going to get through to some people. That it's couched in such a way, it's it's kind of softer, um, and I think that's why Aesop was, you know, has has been a staple in in cultures for thousands. Of, I think thousands of years. I'm not sure if it's thousands, but maybe eight thousand. Uh, let's go. Let's read this, and I'm going to, because um, folks, your money is going to be worth a whole lot less. Use this, share this. Reread it. Read my art. Read my story from that I posted yesterday on August fifteenth. Here's the title: A Cautionary Tale of the Golden Bones, an Aesop's Fable for the Fiat Masses, and it's copyright Stanley J. Szymanski. All rights reserved. Dogs of I I, I read part of this yesterday. I'm doing the whole thing today because I was going to spread it out over three days. So buckle in. Ready? Dogs of all breeds, who were sick of the way they had been treated by their earthly owners, came together from different neighborhoods to found Doglandia. Doglandia was a nation made up of barkers from the four corners of the world. The dogs were of every color, face, and breed. Originally, they lived to serve the one true master. Their master blessed their land and made it abundant and prosperous to all who would work hard. Even though they fought like dogs will do, they patched up their civil differences and had good and productive lives in the land the master had given them. In the beginning, the dogs were very industrious and self-sufficient. They gathered their food and policed their land to make it safe for all Fidos, great and small. A young adult pup named a young adult pup named Shure and his bride, Worthy, vowed to honor and worship the master as they started out their life together. A very hard-working group of dogs dug and found a very large vein of bones in the ground. These were not just any bones, they were golden bones. The leader of the pack, L-O-T-P, immediately recognized the uniqueness of their find and commissioned the working dogs to keep on digging up the golden bones. The leaders of the pack had already been discussing that they needed some sort of currency with which to transact dog business, like it had already been prepared ahead of time for them, because it had been. The golden bones were just the ticket to grease the wheels of the economy of Doglandia. The golden bones had been placed in the ground by the master just for this purpose. The golden bones had an inherent intrinsic value because they were gold and they were bones. They would always have value because it took a lot of effort and dog power to pull this currency out of the ground. The golden bones would always be rare and precious to each and every dog. And so the golden bones were enshrined as a medium of exchange on a clay tablet in the National Dog Park of Doglandia. All of the leaders of the pack put their paw print on the freshly formed clay tablet on a a dewy 
midsummer morning. The nation of Kurs had now sound money with which to operate the dog business of the land. And the master blessed the work of their paws because the faithful dogs acknowledged and honored him with how they had planned to live. Sure and Worthy began putting a few small golden bones away in their hole in the ground every month because this was the currency that came from the master. And they believed him when he told them that the gold of Doglandia was good. The dogs had numerous skirmishes and some division among themselves, as dogs do. But one day, a few of the leaders of the pack had an idea, an evil idea. And, you know, um, I hit the part in the article where uh, I say, please refer to our proviso at the end of the article regarding any reproduction of this writing, and please consider a donation to Encouraging Angels today. So if anybody wants to, you know, share this on a website or something, there is a right way and a wrong way. And if it's done wrong, uh, I will see it and (laughs) address it, if you know what I'm saying. There's a right way and a wrong way. Um, And if you find value, please consider, you know, donating to Encouraging Angels. Back to the article. They said amongst themselves, this is the leaders of the pack, we can make our own golden bones to use among the dogs for dog business. First, it was very tiring to dig up enough golden bones for our growing economy. The fact that we have to employ dogs to dig them right out, of, dig them out of the ground limits the scale at which we can grow the economy. Right now, we can only put more currency into the economy by adding a new bone that comes out of the ground. If we instead make our own bones at will, we will be able to increase the bone supply and really get the economy going. In order to do this, we will make the new bones out of paper. Since dogs slobber a lot, we will spring for really nice cardboard. Instead of gold, it will be easier, faster, and less messy than digging those old barbarous relics out of the ground. And best of all, we will be able to pay for the things like a war against the dogs that we don't like. Of course, we will skim some off the top for ourselves uh, to the tune of, say, mm, 6% dividend every year. After all, we are the leaders of the pack. We are above the other dogs because of our superior intellect. And so the new paper bones became not the currency, but the money of the land. The monetary bone supply did not increase. Excuse me, let me start again. The monetary bone supply did increase, as the leaders of the pack said it would. But along with the growth of the bone supply, the actual value of the new paper bones decreased every time the treasury of femurs and tibia, too fat, (laughs) printed the new cardboard carry-on from the imagination of the leaders of the pack. Inflation in the price of dog food, collars, and the cost of an annual license and everything else related to living a dog's life would skyrocket every time they issued new paper bones. The leaders of the pack started a war they couldn't finish paying for. 
While the original golden bones were still being pulled out of the ground and used for currency or money, alongside the paper bones, which were currency only, the leaders of the pack could see that the bone supply that was printable at their whim but paper was not growing fast enough to pay for the war against the old dogs that still hunt. The leaders of the pack decided to go completely off of using any of the golden bones in their bone supply. In order to pay for this war, they had to debase the Bow Wow money by telling the Treasury to print what the leaders of the pack needed to pay for war. Now, the value of all the thin, disposable puppy pesos had dropped virtually to zero, and thus making the only option for survival, because of inflation, was for one to work like a dog. The leaders of the pack were earning more paper bones than ever on their 6% dividend on all those bones that had been printed. They were now selfish, bloated animals that had bankrupted the country that had once been blessed by their master. No dog had heard from or seen their master in a long, long time. The master had taken his hand of protection and blessing off of Doglandia. The master would allow another species to rise up and take over the land that once had his divine protection. Far away, there was a land filled with cats whose history was almost as old as the dirt itself. They were a crafty bunch. Although two dozen or so families of fat cats had existed for thousands of years and were rich beyond measure, with the same golden bones that the master had also placed in their country. They desired to rule the entire world. They wanted everything that Doglandia had, Doglandia's golden bones and especially the country itself. Catlandia had need of the land and the bounty that Doglandia produced because there were just too many alley cat mouths to feed in Catlandia. The pooches didn't know it, but they were at war with an enemy that they truly did not understand. The fat cats knew about the master, but in no way acknowledged him. They made gods of their revered cats and called themselves children of the Hydra. They exacerbated any relationship they had with the outside world. Any relationship with the cats always ended in calamity for the other party. When the cats heard that the dogs abandoned the use of the golden bones completely, they made a ploy to befriend the dogs in a move to get a paw hold in the lucrative dog market. We have many more cats than you dogs, and we are willing to work all day for cheap wages, said the cats. You dogs will make a lot of money using the grunt work for our cut rate, or excuse the grunt work of our cut rate alley cats. The leaders of the pack loved the idea, and the leaders of the pack made lots and lots of paper bones as they sent all their manufacturing jobs to Catlandia in exchange for the almost worthless mache placards. As soon as the deal was struck, the manufacturing base of the cats began to grow. In just a few decades, it became a behemoth and was now the biggest gaggle of factories in the world. The cats made all of the hip baubles that the dogs loved. 
The dogs had it so good, or so they thought, that a famous media host named Hush Limpaw put forth the idea of Doglandia exceptionalism. This was not true anymore, of course. The true, the true exceptionalism of the dogs was only there during the days when they worshipped, honored, and revered their master. Since all the manufacturing jobs were now in Catlandia, all those dogs that used to actually work for a living now had the only option of becoming a service dog. Some dogs now worked walking other dogs. A lot of dogs worked at a big chain that made coffee-flavored excitatory dog fare called Star Yucks, where they were called productive when they made drinks for apparently upwardly mobile hounds like a drink that was a bowl full of potion called a Crappuccino. Instead of working with the fervor of their forefathers, other furry beta barkers worked in the local pizza shop serving up slices of pepperoni pizza. In between playing the Angry Dogs game on their cat-made electronic tracking device. The leaders of the pack thought they were so smart for having the cats make knickknacks and cheap steel for their kennels. But it certainly was the fat cats that were the most cunning. Sure and Worthy became very concerned as they saw the dog money become worth so much less. They doubled the amount of the golden bones that they saved each month. It put a dent into their entertainment budget, but the couple knew that things were somehow going to get worse, and there was almost nothing of real value any longer in Doglandia. Nothing, that is, but the original golden bones placed in the ground by the hand of the master. While the leaders of the pack, while the leaders of the pack loved earning all the paper bones they could lay their paws on, as the paper bones were being inflated away every time the treasury treasury of Phibia and Tibia printed them. It was the cats who used their newfound economic prowess to begin purchasing the currency with the real intrinsic value, the golden bones. At first, the cats bought what golden bones they could every year and socked it away in their little kitty banks. They also put more of the alley cats to work digging up the golden bones that were in the new mines of Catlandia. Cats love bones too. With every accumulation of golden bones, the cat's clout in the world began to grow along with their plans to become the dog's betters. During this ascent of the cats, the leaders of the pack became more and more corrupt, and the cats did everything they could to help bring about the demise of the pooches. The cats went as far as using silky vixen tomcat spies to get next to office holders of Doglandia. In one case, a little kitty named Bang Bang allegedly entered into a relationship with a legislator named Derek Paulwell. 
This story led to rumors of the fulfillment of the secular prophecy from the original Muttbusters movie starring Bill Purry. The cats claim to this day when Purry's character is asked if the city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportions, Purry's character explained it to be canine sacrifices, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. The cat struck with a tactical coup with the release of a catatonic bioweapon, cat scratch fever. The recipients think they got it from a kitty next door, but in reality, it came from across the waters, from Catlandia. Some dogs died when they got the feline bug. Many more dogs died from the medicine that was supposedly designed to save them. Now, Catlandia was an economic powerhouse, but in order for them to really become the cat's meow, they had to have a currency stronger than the paper bones created by the dogs. So while the dogs were caught up in their debauchery and continuing unfaithfulness to their master, the cats pulled off the financial coup de grace, the final blow to win the hegemony of world domination. With the accumulated wealth of the profit from the cut price dime a dozen alley cats and the multiplication of their wealth with their now huge hoard of golden bones, the fat cats of Catlandia bought all of the available golden bones that were on the market anywhere and everywhere in the world. They bought up all the golden bones mines on the planet. The cats bought up all the large lots of golden bones that were at the refiner's fire of golden bones on and around the globe. They bought up all the large lots of golden bones that they could source in the markets. The only shiny ground-sourced currency that existed was in the coin shops and in circulation. For all intents and purposes, all of the golden bones under and above the surface of the ground were in the possession of the fat cats. With this new level of possession, the cats could make themselves as rich as they wanted and everyone else, the dogs, as poor as they desired them to be. The fat cats had literally cornered the market and were now set to turn the tables on the dogs. The cats proceeded to tell the dogs that if they wanted to buy any more of the goods from anywhere, that they, the dogs, would have to possess a gold poker chip that represented a golden bone. If the dogs didn't own any golden bones, there was no way for them to obtain a golden poker chip. This is because the business between the two countries would now be settled with the golden poker chip. The chip represents the actual store of value, the golden bone. But if you don't actually have a golden bone in storage or reserves, you will not be given a golden chip by the fat cats. The poker chip also has a silicon chip in it that settles all accounts through a fat cat custom-made blockchain. 
The fat cats named their accounting mechanism the librarian of the barbarian because no canine could buy or sell without it. All dogs who wished to transact in the world system run by the cats had no choice but to use the totalitarian token. The paper bones of the dogs were now completely worthless. The cats would be the cruelest master that the dogs had ever known. Oh, how the once faithful dogs longed for and cried for the benevolent master of the youth of their canine country. The master had given the dogs over to their earthly desires where there was no longer any mercy for them, only an excruciating life and time of final judgment. The cats had built the dogs a doghouse from which there was no escape. The only free and independent souls in Doglandia were sure and worthy. They were able to get whatever they wanted because everyone now saw the real value of the golden bones. Sure bought Worthy a huge doghouse in the mountains, away from the concentrated cities and all of the dog droppings in the streets by dogs with no master. Sure and Worthy could afford all of the food, water, shelter, energy, and protection that a dog could need simply because they were faithful to the truth and to the guidance of the master. And that is my story. I hope you guys like it. We've, I've gotten a lot of good, uh, a lot of good feedback so far. And I, I hope for more, <laughs> uh, but you can read this thing and share you can share this podcast. Remember that wherever you're listening, whether it's Podbean or Spotify or uh, Samsung or one of the other platforms, there's always a share button. It's the square with the arrow popping out of the top. Click on that and share that with a friend or five. Um, we've been really knocked down because I was originally on just uh, Podbean and Spotify and we had gotten up to, you know, a few hundred people a day. And um, I found out then, uh, after, you know, eight months of podcasting or what have you, nine months of podcasting, that I actually could get on another dozen. So I went and applied for all those. And the next thing you know, you know, we're knocked down by 70%. Things climbed back a little bit this week. Um, but please share this. Um we are giving information that makes a difference in the lives of people. And hopefully uh, with writings like what I shared today, that it's also entertaining as well as informative. You know, people just, there are a, a segment of the population and maybe a big part. And in fact, a fable always communicates to everybody. Some people, though, it's the only thing that will communicate them to them. Uh, just uh, for my friends who are of a, quote, conservative bent, uh, I am trying to go back here and find 
where I talked about <laughs> Hush Limpaw. Some people might see that as um, as a slight to uh, a certain radio broadcaster. And I just want to say, I, I have have nothing but respect for the memory of a certain broadcaster whose name might be somewhat like Hush Limpaw. But the idea of American exceptionalism, the fact that, you know, like we're, we're super great just because we're Americans, um, you... When the when our country honored God, with you know, in what they said, wrote, and, and especially with what they did, those people were exceptional. When you get to the recent history of America, having the, you know, the world reserve currency and having the hegemony that goes along with it. All of the evil that was perpetrated, all of the sanctions that were used as weapons to destroy countries or loans that were made to, uh, uh, you know, developing countries and then, and then they destroyed them when they didn't agree with America. Um, that's not exceptionalism. I mean, that is something that, that repentance is needed for. This country will only be great again when it gets on its knees and repents before God for its corporate sins as well as personal sins. Then God will lift you up. But God said he's going to put down the proud. I need to find those. um, I wonder if I can find it. Let's see. um, Oh, heck. If I go to Bible Gateway... Uh, yeah, I mean, in Matthew 23, 12, it says, and Jesus, this is Jesus, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted I know when I came to be a believer in Christ I had to humble myself and say I am a sinner God almighty I'm sorry please forgive me and I trust you as Lord and Savior and move on from there then Jesus will 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 you know honor the land my God I mean if you look around at the state of America, do you think that, that this is something that God is exalting? No, this is not American exceptionalism. It's not. This is American debauchery. And the country needs to 
corporately. I mean, everyone needs to repent and tell God they're sorry for their sins. But not everyone's going to do that. But this country had better do it because when Jesus says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. My God, how America has exalted themselves over the other nations through the use of the the hegemonic use of the world reserve currency. That time is now over and he is going to humble this country. Humble, in my humble opinion. And so that's why I made the the comment about um, Doglandia, you know, exceptionalism. Because especially when it comes to your money, all the savings you have, if you hold on to that idea that, oh, the dollar is exalted above all, and my savings are in dollars, and I I am doing the best thing I can for me. You are deceived. You are deceived. 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 In my humble opinion, I think it's going to end up like ashes in your mouth. Because whether you hold a 401k, a 403B, a pension, savings, you know, in U.S. dollars. How much more can they print, you know, before it becomes not only worth less, but that it's worthless? I mean, let me tell you, the debt service is a trillion dollars a year right now. And it is going to do nothing but go up because... The nations of the world are no longer buyers of treasuries. They're not going to buy treasury bonds to finance our debt. They won't have to. They will have real money. They will have real money. They will have money based on the golden bones. Are you starting to see some of what I was trying to say? So I hope you found my fable informative. I hope you find this worthy of consideration. I hope you find this worthy of sharing amongst your family and friends. And I hope you do so. Please share my written article that's on EA blog, www.encouragingangels.org. Click on EA blog and find uh, my article, A Cautionary Tale of the Golden Bones. And consider supporting Encouraging Angels. We are doing work that virtually no one else is doing. I mean, again, you know, I I write this one. I'm thinking about the disabled folks and the caregivers. The, it, without action, in my humble opinion, you're going to be wiped out. I'm not giving anybody independent or individual financial advice. You know, please consult a financial advisor. There's not going to be imports into the country. When the other people 
the BRICS countries, when they have real money and America has play money that it prints, just like the monopoly, you know, it says in the, in the rules in monopoly, if you run out of money, you can just write up strips of paper. That's the United States of America. All of the things that are imported, I mean, and it's virtually everything. You know, you take care of somebody, do you need medical equipment? Like, for instance, like if you have a breathing machine or a nebulizer and you need like tubes and the nebulizing, um, I forget what that's called, but it's like the cup, um, you know, device. Do you think it comes from America? I don't think so. Do you, uh, you, you won't be able to buy anything, no matter how much money you have. Because when this really starts to fall apart, then you'll be able to go to, like, uh, it, it, life will be like it was described in Mike Maloney's The Hidden Secrets of Money, Episode 7, at the end of the, uh, the video, which is like half an hour long. I mean, he talks about the government printing up, you know, all of the money that uh, the person had paid in tax receipts and sent it to them, your money's going to be worthless and it will j be chasing few goods, the few goods that are available in America at that point. But choice and uh, 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 selection are gone. Like, do you understand? You have to understand where we are. For God's sakes, your sake, share this broadcast with everybody that you know. Have a discussion. Again, I'm not giving anybody any kind of advice personally. You know, I wrote a story and shared my story with you. Please consider supporting Encouraging Angels. You can go to the donate page at www.encouragingangels.org and give online through the Cornerstone link, a great payment processor, or you can send us something to our P.O. box right on the same page. This is the Encouraging Angels podcast. I'm Stan Szymanski, and I look forward to to seeing you right here next time.